0: Well, good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. If you got your Bible, go Luke 14, Luke chapter 14, and we're going to look at uh, another parable in our series uh, entitled Illusions, and we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So if you're able to stand, please do so. As you look to Luke 14, we do this for the honor of reading God's Word. We're going to cover a lot of verses this morning, but I'm just going to read for our Scripture reading here, uh, verse 7 down through Verse 11. Uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 7 through 11. This is God's Word to us this morning. It says, "...He told a parable to those who were invited when He noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, unless someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you'll begin with shame." to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Pray with me. Oh Lord, what a joy it is to study your word as week after week we've, been, uh, we've had our lives exposed to truth and uh Lord, thankful for the life change that's happening in this body. God, uh, what you're awakening in us and uh, just ask that you would do that again this morning as we try to faithfully present uh, the words of life uh, given in, in, uh, in your word. So we ask it to the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are no grand celebrations here. No speeches, no bright lights. But there are great athletes. Somehow we've come to believe that greatness is reserved for the chosen few. For the superstars. The truth is, greatness is for all of us. This is not about lowering expectations. It's about raising them for every last one of us. Because greatness is not in one special place. And it is not in one special person. Greatness is wherever somebody is trying to find it. All right, that uh, commercial actually was part of an ad campaign uh, by Nike called Find Your Greatness. Uh, The the idea behind this campaign was that, uh, you know, often we think about greatness as being world-class athletes and record holders, but, but anybody, whoever they are, wherever they live, can find greatness. Now, that type of advertising really strikes a chord with a lot of people because everybody wants to be great at something. I mean, you ask a little kid, or when somebody asks you, when you were a little kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, You didn't say I want to be the water boy. You you didn't say I want to I want to work at a toll booth. I want to sell flood insurance. I want to be a pastor. You know, nobody says that. I mean, we always respond with things like, "What I want to I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a, a movie star. I want to I want to play in the NBA." You know, my son will say, "I want to be a NASCAR driver." Uh, which just means I'm raising him right, all right? He wants to, he wants to be sponsored by Mountain Dew and Sour, sour Gummy Jolly Ranchers. So, but I mean, we all kind of have that response, don't we, where we, we want to be great things. And when we grow up and realize, listen, everybody's not going to be an astronaut or a you know, football player or whatever, we, 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 we at least say, I want to be a great dad, I want to be a great wife. I I want to be a great employee. Nobody sets out to be average. Nobody sets out to say, I want to be the most mediocre thing possible. Everybody wants to find greatness. But what if greatness, at least how the world defines it, is only an illusion? And it is. In fact, Jesus is going to expose the illusion of worldly greatness in this parable this morning. He's going to show us what true greatness is, and He's going to do so by by exposing and humiliating some very prideful, arrogant people. In fact, Jesus is going to be invited to a party, and before the party is over, He is going to humiliate the main guest. He's going to humiliate the host. He's going to humiliate everybody that's at the party. And he's even going to humiliate the people that didn't even come to the party. This is going to be fun. All right? So, why is Jesus... So aggressive in this text. It's going to be a hard text. Why? Why? Is he having a bad day? Wake up on the wrong side of the bed? What's going on? Why is Jesus so in your face in this passage? It's because he's addressing something God hates pride. Uh, that's a little strong, God, God hates pride. Uh, don't you think that's a little too strong language? No, I don't. First Peter chapter five, verse five says, "Clothe yourselves, all of you with humility towards one another. Why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Proverbs 16:5, "Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured. He'll not go unpunished. Brian. God hates pride. Pride is demonic. It was core at the fall of Satan. It was core at the fall of man. It was core at the Tower of Babel. And every sin since. Augustine called it the mother of all sins. It's that, that tendency to want to make ourselves look great instead of let God be shown as great. And if we're not careful, our pursuit of greatness, which we all want, will be nothing more than an expression of a prideful heart. That's what Jesus shows us here by first going after what I want to call religious pride when he humiliates the Pharisees. Verse 1, I love it. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So, man, this was a big-time honor. I mean, Jesus gets invited to the ruler of the Pharisees to have dinner. I mean, this is a big deal. It's a special occasion. But We often think of Pharisees as being negative, but this would have been an honor. And all of a sudden, a sick man shows up. Look at verse 2. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, Luke gives us a little bit of an indication that the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. Because that phrase in verse 1, they're watching him carefully. It literally means that they're, they're lurking, they're watching you know, to see if they can catch somebody. They bring in this sick man to try to put Jesus in a tough spot, and here's the tough spot. It's the Sabbath. They had man-made rules for the Pharisees that you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. So now they have a sick man in front of Jesus, and if he heals the man, he breaks their rules right there in front of everybody. They're going to be really upset with him. But if he doesn't heal the man, then he's going to show everybody at the party that he doesn't have any compassion for somebody who needs him. But just a little side note, don't try to trick Jesus. It just doesn't tend to go well. I mean, do you ever, like, with a kid or something, do the the behind-the-back game where you're like, what hand is it in? You know, my four-year-old, she'll go into my office and she'll grab my keys and she'll come out and she'll go, Daddy, what hand are they in? You know? You know, they've got like objects falling out and you're like, that's not even a trick, honey. I see it, you know. It's, that's what it's like trying to trick Jesus. He totally sees what they're up to. Now, they're not fooling him at all. In fact, he turns it back on them. Look at verse 3. Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? <laughs> now they're in the tough spot. Because the Mosaic Law didn't forbid healing on the Sabbath. Their rules did. So now if they say, yes, it is forbidden, they prove they don't even know the law, which they're supposed to be experts of. And if they say, well, 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 no, it's not forbidden, well, they go against their very own rules right in front of everybody. Checkmate. You know, you lose, Jesus wins. And so he goes on, verse 4, he heals the man to show that he's the one who is compassionate. And now he's going to expose the real issue in the hearts of the Pharisees, verse 5. He said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that's fallen into the well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Now, you got to understand the context here, I think, to understand what's taking place here, because the obvious answer was, of course, you would pull your son out. Are you kidding me? Or your, I mean, your oxen would be the way you make a living. Of course you're going to do that, but, but I think the peer pressure of the moment. They're at the ruler of the Pharisees' home. Even though they don't say anything, had they been forced to speak, they would say, no, I wouldn't. Because everybody would expect me to obtain the proper rules. And Jesus, in asking them this, exposes their heart that at the end of the day, you care more about your man-made religious rules than you do your own son. Jesus is exposing here what I call religious pride. Religious pride is when you use religious things to make yourself look great in the eyes of others your church attendance, your giving record, your Bible knowledge, how many Bible studies you go to. You, you do these things, even it's often in subtle ways, so that people will say, my, you're a good Christian. Like, your Bible even has leather on it. You know, I mean, wow, you're so awesome. Like, we, we, we feel like, I want greatness. I want to be accepted and keeping the rules in the church, keeping the rules in the religious settings that you're in, is one way you think you can get it. But the problem with that is, what's your heart? You see, you can look really good to the church and really good to your Christian friends and really good to the people who go to Bible study with you and all the while look really small to God. Because he hates religious pride. When people look great on the outside, but their heart, as Jesus would say to the Pharisees, is full of dead men bones. Look at Amos chapter, um, Amos chapter 5 here in verse 21. This is said of Old, uh, Old Testament Israel. God says, I hate. So again, I'm not using too strong a language here. I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'll not accept them. The peace offerings of your fattened animals, I'll not look upon them. Take away, oh, that he would not say of this this morning of us as we were singing. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. God is saying, when you come to me, With all your songs and your guitar and all your lyrics and all your religious activity and all your leather-bound Bibles and all your sermons, but your heart isn't engaged, I don't even want to listen. I don't want to listen. It makes me sick. Why? Because you don't find greatness in religious activity. And if you think you do, it's only an illusion. Jesus now moves from (laughs) offending the Pharisees to now everybody that's at the party. Don't invite Jesus to your party, all right? (laughs) Verse 7, he tells a parable to those who were invited, so everybody that's at the party, when he noticed how they chose places of honor. Now, this would have been unbelievably awkward socially, you know, Jesus was like, all right, Pharisees. And then he turns and says, hey, everybody else, I got a word for you. I noticed how you tried to sit in certain seats. I mean, imagine you invite me over to your home, and you're like, hey, we want to get to know the lead pastor, and we've invited our neighbors over and family members, and we're just going to have a great old time. And I stand up in the middle of the meal, and I just say, pfft. Man, I noticed that you guys are wearing a bunch of nice clothes. You are some of the most greedy, uppity, snobby people I've ever had a meal with. The next time I come over, you better wear jeans. And I sit back down. You'd be horrified. I would never be invited back ever again to your house. And that's what Jesus does. He says, hey, 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 I've noticed something about you at this meal that that." That you need to be aware of that I'm gonna to expose to you. I've noticed that you're all lobbying to see who can sit at the right seat at the table. I mean, as most of you know, tables in those days were in a U-shaped, and whoever sat in the middle was the most important, and and then to the right, and then to the left, and then the next right, and then the next left. And the further out to the edge that you got, the less important that you were. And so Jesus noticed that, like, you know, Bill shows up, and he licks a fork and sets it down, and if it's okay, I'll sit here, you know, and, and like… John pulls out his sharpie and he writes his name on his cup and I I think I'll just sit here. and, And they're all trying to find the best seat at the table. And Jesus isn't concerned about where they sit down. He's concerned about a heart that thinks social status brings you greatness. If I sit at a certain seat, if I sit by a certain person, then... I'll make much of me. So Jesus tells the parable, verse 8. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the place of honor, you see. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say, give your place to this person. And Then they'll begin, you'll begin with shame to take the lower place, but when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. And then when your host comes, he'll say, "Friend, move up higher." And then you'll be honored in the presence of all of at the table. So that's the parable. Now imagine that you're at a wedding, just so you can understand here this parable. Imagine you go to a wedding and um, you are dating the cousin of the bride's former roommate. So you're really important. you know I mean, you're a big deal. Everybody wants to meet you afterwards, right? And you walk in and you notice that there's a seat up in the front by the family where the family has reserved seating. And and you think, hey, I'm pretty important. You know, I'm dating the cousin of the bride's former roommate. I mean, I matter. And you walk all the way down and you sit in that seat and you think, yes, I belong. I'm in the right section. I'm with the right people. I am right where I belong. Till all of a sudden an usher taps you on the shoulder. (coughs) Excuse me, sir. This is for family only. We have a seat all the way in the back for you. And you get up, and everybody's staring at you. You know, some lady's like, ah, the nerve. You know, that camera guy jumps out of nowhere like he always does, <laughs> takes your picture, and now you're in the wedding album. You know, I mean, you are horrified. The whole walk back, everybody's staring at you. And you're humiliated because you tried to honor yourself. You thought you were more important than you really are, and you took a seat that didn't belong to you. Jesus says, That's exactly what you're doing at this party, and that's exactly what all of us in this room do from time to time. If I could only be their friend, if I could only have that economic status, if I could only associate with that group, then I'd find greatness. And it's not just the participants. Now Jesus is going to offend the host. <laughs> this is better than Jerry Springer. Verse 12. He said to the man who had invited him, so now here's the host of the party, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also uh, invite you in return and be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed for they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection. So now Jesus turns to the host of the party. So he's basically to this point said, hey, Pharisees. You got the wrong rules. Participants at the party. You're in the wrong seat. Hey, host of the party. You invited the wrong people. You invited people that look just like you. They act just like you. They're in the same social status you're in or higher that you might rub elbows with them. They are people that can repay you. It is, listen, in the ancient Near East, uh, wedding banquets like this and social gatherings were a time of social networking. I mean, the best way to describe it is, say, the Godfather, right? It was the idea that, man, if I, can, if I can get around the right people, if I can build the right relationships, then what will come with that is privilege, status, and benefits. And Jesus sees this. He knows why the host of the party invited who he invited. And Jesus here is not saying, hey, if you throw a birthday party, don't invite your friends. I mean, that's not the point. This is an idiom. You have to interpret it in light of what the parable is teaching. And here's the point, and I hope you're listening. If your social network is only filled with people who will help you look good or gain status, it may be nothing more than a reflection of your social pride. You're hanging around them, not because of them, but because of what it will do for you greatness through relationships with other people. C.S. Lewis said this, and this is so perfect. C.S. Lewis said that every single one of us struggles with the fear of being an outsider. In fact, the direct quote is, Until you conquer the fear of being an outsider, an outsider you will remain. And listen, all of us want to belong. All of us want to feel like that, that we're somebody. Madonna said this. I don't even know if I can quote Madonna in church, but hey, there's a lot of things I do we probably shouldn't do in church. But Madonna says this. This is so insightful. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, And that's always pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. Man, I, so, I want greatness. Maybe people can get me there. And that's why we drop names. That's why we drive certain cars. That's why we have a certain brand of clothes. That's why we're, we get really upset when somebody in our family didn't recognize us. Because we all look for social status to make much of us. It's only an illusion. Now, we got one more group to offend, all right? You having fun yet? This is a blast. The next group are people who didn't even come to the party. How do you offend them? I don't know, but Jesus will. He's not just addressed religious pride and then social pride. He then moves to spiritual pride. Verse 15, when one of those reclining at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Like this guy doesn't get it. Verse 16, he said to him, a man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Like one just bought a field and had to go see about it. One just bought five oxen and had to go examine them. One just married a wife. And so you, you have all these people making excuses for why they can't come to the banquet Now what is Jesus teaching here when he tells another parable uh, about an invitation that goes out but yet everybody's too preoccupied to show up? Jesus is saying this. Hey y'all, because I think Jesus would say (laughs) y'all. This isn't the only party being offered. God's throwing a party. God's throwing a banquet. And it's going to make your little appetizers look like nothing. But the problem is, there's a whole lot of people too spiritually prideful to show up. They got other things in life they have to tend to. Man, man, I got a, I got a family to raise. I got money to make, man. I got fun to have. Are you kidding me? I'm only 18. I don't need God right now. My life's just fine. I've got other things I need to tend to. Jesus says there is a banquet being offered. Everything you need to have a relationship with God has already been accomplished on the cross. But some of you are too spiritually prideful to admit you need him. And you give excuse after excuse every week when I call you to come to Christ. And the truth is, the grace of God is missed, not usually by atheists, but by well attended church going people who are too prideful to admit they need it. Jesus says, This invitation has gone out. But you don't see your need. You reject it because of a spiritual pride that is in your heart. Are you seeing the, the flow of this text? Pride, 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 pride. Religious people who think greatness comes by looking great in the eyes of others with all their religious rules and the participants of the party who think they look great when they're around the right people and sitting in the right seat and invite the right people and people who didn't even come to the party who think that they're great because they've got all this stuff in their life that they've obtained. They've got a family and they've got a job and they don't need God. They all think they've found greatness, but none of them have it. Everything they have is an illusion. So what is greatness? Not how Nike defines it. Psst, forget that. How does Jesus define it? Verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled... And he who humbles himself, here it is, will be exalted. Greatness is found through lowliness. Not making much of yourself, making little of yourself. Look at verse 13. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Look at the last part of verse 21. Go quickly into the streets, the lanes of the city, and bring in who? The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Don't you see? Greatness in this text wasn't found by a Pharisee, but a sick man. Greatness wasn't found by friends in high places, but friends in low places. Yes, Garth Brooks, I know. It wasn't found by the people at the top of the invitation list, but people who shouldn't have even been invited. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God, folks. And I thought about this backstage, I was thinking, you know, the reason why this sounds so strange is because we hear, we hear a million messages about greatness that sound nothing like this. So when we come across this, it seems odd, strange, or too harsh. But the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God has chosen the foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? Here it is. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God doesn't need self sufficient individuals seeking status. God wants servants who have found their status in Jesus alone and live to make much of Him. And if you're not willing to get that low, you'll never be great. It's not new. It's the whole storyline of the Bible. God's going to choose a nation whereby to bring his son, the Messiah. And he doesn't choose the powerful nation of Assyria. He doesn't choose the powerful nation of Babylon. He doesn't choose the rich nation of Egypt. you know who he chooses? A group that will be slaves to all three of them. And he lifts them up. He leads them out. He is their God. They are his people. He does things for them they cannot do. Why? So that they cannot boast in themselves. And when this Messiah comes on the scene in the New Testament, He doesn't come with guns a-blazing. He doesn't come with scepter in hand. He comes in a manger for Pete's sake. He's from Nazareth where nothing good comes from. His dad, his earthly dad, is a carpenter. The messenger of this whole kingdom, his cousin John the Baptist is a bug-eating maniac living in a van down by the river. The message that he preached, it offends the Pharisee, but it appeals to the prostitute. It offends the Sadducee, but it comforts the sinner. And he calls an island of misfit toys called the disciples. Total bunch of rejects. Fishermen. Common fishermen. Fishermen who would lay down their nets only to take up a cross. That's because the kingdom of God is a group of a bunch of lowly, insignificant people in the eyes of the world. But because of what Jesus did, they're going to one day rule this world. And they may persecute them in Iraq, and they may laugh them off college campuses, and they may call them intolerant in a culture that celebrates sin. I'm telling you, brother, the lowly who have gotten low with Jesus will find greatness. A day is coming when church janitors will rule over American CEOs And men who have driven a truck all their life and nobody knows their name. And single moms who have bust their back to provide for their family for the sake of Jesus are going to be kings and queens in the kingdom of God. And there are college students who will be shown one day to be wiser than their professor with a PhD because God has chosen the foolish to shame the wise. And He has chosen the lowly to be great. So you can run on in this life pursuing everything the world says, that's how you'll find greatness. And never find it. The Gospel of grace, the Gospel of Jesus that he calls to us, says to the religious prideful in this room, and there are some of you here, I just don't know who you are. Greatness is not found in keeping all your rules, it's in realizing you've broken all the rules. That's greatness. That you're not great because of what you do for God, you're great because God loves you and did something great for you. And the only reason you even have a seat at the table is because Jesus took the lower seat. The Gospel calls out to the socially prideful in this room, and there are some, I just don't know who they are, that greatness is not found in your status in this life. Greatness is found when you have status with God. That there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Greatness is not what relationship you have with the people in this world. It's a relationship with God. And if you know that that relationship with God has given you a seat at the table, then why do you need to fight for seats in this life? You see? And if you were received at the table because you had nothing to give, how much more you'll receive people in this life who have nothing to give you? The gospel calls out to the spiritually prideful that says, man, my life is just fine as it is. I don't need God. That's not greatness. Greatness is admitting that you don't have your life in order. That you have a need. And his name is Jesus. For what good will it do if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? And I know the response to all these things when you deal with pride is if, if I were to swallow that and get low, that'd be humiliating. You don't, you don't know what people that I work with would think. You don't even know what my spouse would think. I would be so embarrassed. Listen, you think that's humiliating? Imagine having all your clothes stripped off, beaten in front of everybody and hung upon a cross for the world to see. Trust me, Jesus knows more than anybody in this room how greatness is found in humiliation. Will you humble yourself? Will you, in a world that's all about the championship athlete, that's all about the movie star, that, that encourages you to find greatness... Will you understand what the Bible says that you could look great in the eyes of the world? You could even look great in the eyes of your family and be completely insignificant? This morning, would you humble yourself, admit your nothingness, because it's there and only there that you find greatness? Let's pray. God, I know, I, I just know, I, I can't imagine being in that room of Luke 14 and just the, the humiliation, the, like how can you say that? How, it just doesn't make me feel good. And, and yet, that's the most loving thing that Jesus could have done to those people in that room. We all want to be great. Help us see where greatness is really found. That he who is humbled is exalted.